the Almeida Theatre Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Almeida Theatre Podcasts. I'm Rupert Gould, the Artistic Director here, and we are making a series of podcasts during the lockdown enforced by the coronavirus of 2020. I'll be interviewing a number of artists who have worked at the Almeida over the last few years and talking to them about what makes the Almeida so special, their thoughts about culture, their thoughts about this moment in time and the work they've done in the past and also with us at the Almeida. Today's guest is Beth Steele. Beth won in 2014 the Evening Standard Award for the most promising playwright for her play Wonderland at the Hampstead Theatre. Beth is the author of The House of Shades, a new play that was opening at the Almeida this spring and forced to be delayed due to the coronavirus outbreak. I caught up with Beth earlier today about that play and her life in theatre. So, Beth, how are you finding lockdown? much different to my normal life actually a lot of um sitting at a desk um mm-hmm. i'm enjoying it there's not enough time in the day to do everything that i sort of planned to do before it began do you find that like i mean do you need like i guess your normal working life must be periods of being locked at a computer and then like periods of going out to the pub and, and seeing friends do you feel like losing one half of that has affected the other half or Um, Well, you say that, but it depends. I mean, actually, if I'm going through an intense um, section of work and I am quite um, isolated and I might not go out and like won't go to the theatre. So, yeah, I mean, of course, I miss going to see plays. I mean, it's, you know, it's such a a part, but also Mm. I enjoy um, not having to go to people, not having to go and meet people. (laughs) <laughs> just getting the work done do you know what I mean so antisocial um, I know <laughs> aren't all writers though I think we must be yeah I think so so anyway these podcasts are kind of a one of the things we want to do is is, is to try and uh, evoke what theatre is in people's memories and and, and minds uh, while we're away so I'm, I'm going to start by asking you for a, a show piece of theatre that you saw uh, either when you were young or very recently and uh, you could have worked on it or, or maybe it was nothing to do with you, but that, that sort of made a real impact on you and, and that, that changed the way you thought about life or, or, or the art form. Oh, well, that would be that would be easy to answer, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, because that w- it was seeing that play and being sat there within 10 minutes where my life changed. And it was seeing David Harrower's Blackbird um, on the West End. It's directed by Peter Stein. Um, it's a, a two-hander that's incredibly uh, taut and emotional. And I remember I was sat in the stalls and that was quite an unusual experience for me. I was always in the cheapest uh, <laughs> seats, still am. Um, but I was sat there and within 10 minutes I thought this is this is it this is the Mm -hmm. most exciting night of my life I felt I felt completely plugged in I felt the play go through my veins that's all I can describe it like a drug it just went into me and I kind of didn't breathe until it ended and I remember everybody left the theatre and I was still sat in the stalls partly because I was a mess I was Mm -hmm. Uh, very upset by the production, um, but also exhilarated as well. That sort of combination of grief and ecstasy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I sort of left thinking, 
Rupert, I left thinking I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I left um, thinking I could do that. Yeah. Even though obviously I couldn't, but. So, so, so lovely when I, when I hear that story. And uh, t- tell me a bit about how, why were you in that seat? How had you got there? What was the route map? Were, were you on your own? No, I wasn't. A date had taken me and mm. they'd been told to go and see it. Um, mm. Which obviously I was in tears at the end. <laughs> so I was a, a psycho date. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Um, and I don't remember. I don't remember the rest of the evening at all. I re- yeah. just only literally remember that play. I remember. I remember it being the first time where I sort of understood that that language was the push and pull. It was the first time that I'd seen a play where I actually realised it's people doing things to each other, mm-hmm. and I'd never understood that before. Even though it's incredibly basic, of course they're doing something to each other in Chekhov, which I had seen on a stage. I had mm. been to see, you know, a few, some, not that much, but I had seen some classical pieces, but it mm. was something about um, the raw, rawness of that play that spoke to me. So, to, and, and, you know, as a writer, I guess, the cliche would be that, you're, that, that your focus is on words. And, you know, I think one of the most beautiful things in your writing is the dialogue and, and the the, the speech cadences you get uh, but was it that you think you were responding to or because obviously Stein is quite a, a visual director or, or was it the acting or was it the the, the content of the story the, the the themes in it can you can you well I would say like I mean I don't think you get those explosive nights of the theatre without having the whole thing it has mm-hmm. to be the writing it has to be the production it has to be mm-hmm. the acting I mean you know those that's why it's so incredibly difficult to go and see a show that is just astonishing because it's that hard because you have to have mm. all of those things being brilliant. Um, do you know, I don't think really that language was the first thing that excited me actually about mm. plays. I was much more excited by thinking of um, the visual suggestion of the staging by where the mm-hmm. play would be set. Um, that sort of came later actually mm-hmm. interesting so take us back then so like you know how did you start out in you know going from were you doing drama at school or anything no i mean i left school at 16 so i didn't um it didn't ever 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 occur to me to to write i was not one of those um mm-hmm. precocious 13 year old swallowing Dostoevsky. <laughs> <laughs> like, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I sort of, I loved school, but I didn't mm-hmm. um, feel the Why need to you... stay. Why was that, do you think? Um, I didn't, how can I say this? I was a very driven person mm-hmm. without having, some, I didn't find something in school that I thought, oh, I must go to university to do that job. And it was very, mm. education was about a job for me. And I didn't really mm. have a sense of what I wanted to do, only that mm. I didn't want, only that I wanted to do something extraordinary. And so what did you do? So what did you do after school? What was your, what was your next um, Oh, God, it wasn't extraordinary at all. <laughs> um, well, sort of was. I mean, you know, I did my GCSEs and then three days later, I was on a plane to Greece. 
um, and I lived there from 16 until uh, 21, so that's five years, which is, you know, a sort of fascinating, formative moment, really, to be mm. um, in a completely different country. Um, I was with my sister, but not with, um, you know, my parents. So it was... Mm. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. It's also um, naivety. And what were you, what were you doing I mean, at that Oh, God, I knew you were going to ask this. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, okay, so I'd been on holiday. And when I was on holiday, and I was eating a kebab, and literally a Greek dude came up to me and my sister in this town square and was like, are you a model? And we were like, no. And he was like, do you want to be? And we were like, yeah. <laughs> uh, which sounds quite bizarre. And it was. Um, we sort of in told my mum and dad, and of course they said no. And it basically meant um, it was a fur coat company where they were selling fur coats to Russians and this, that and the other. <laughs> and they did fashion shows around swimming pools of, you know, fancy hotels. This and is the player, so... what is he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's got to be a film. There's only Andrea Arnold that could tackle this. <laughs> and Lynn, Lynn Ramsey. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was... You know, he'd be playing ABBA and there'd be a smoke machine and you'd, you know, unload the white van with all of the fur coats. You'd be wearing like, you know, a black dress and high heels, swanning around in 40 degrees in a coat and then, you know, packing it all up and going to the next hotel, which was brilliant, actually. I loved it. Mm. It was great. That was it. That was extraordinary. Um, mm. And then, yeah, that all went um very wrong when the bloke basically did a runner off the island because he owed that much money he got a speedboat one day and just left mm. and so I was out of a job and the fear was then that my parents would say right well you have to come back and I didn't want to mm. come back so I um I then got a job in a clothes shop a very mm. very tiny clothes boutique and um I worked there for about four months and the woman said she was um, selling it and this is another bizarre thing I, me and my sister we were both working there doing a job share one person um, and we said well, well, well we want to buy it um, mm. which sounds a bit again bizarre um, mm. so we sort of did this business plan and went around to lots of Greek banks asking for a checkbook and money and of course everyone said no <laughs> Um, and then it came, I was telling my landlord, this block of flats, and he says, well, you know, darling, I'm a bank manager. Mm. Um, and I was like, what? No. And so he gave us a checkbook. And mm. uh, on our 18th birthday, we opened it. Mm -hmm. We went to Athens to get stock for the clothes. And we had that for three years and then sold it and came to London. So there's a interesting playwriting beginnings. <laughs> so, so I mean, given it's not the um, I don't know what what the classic playwriting course is. Maybe there isn't isn't one, but um, it's certainly not the Royal Court Young Writer Scheme or or, or English degrees, is it? Um, no. Do, how how did that make you sort of feel about theatre as an industry when you were coming towards it? And I mean, did you feel like you 
belonged. I mean, you obviously felt a very strong connection when you saw that that production of Blackbird, and 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 you felt you could do it. But like, how how does someone? How did you act on that? So yeah, I mean, it took me. You know, when I say I could do it, I left sort of having this surge of 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 feeling, but nothing more than that. I mean, I think you know, um, lots of people say, don't they? They they feel they can write something, but then there's the actual task of getting down to do it. And obviously, what I wrote to begin with was terrible, but. Um, I think the fact that I hadn't had the more formal education was actually a blessing because it meant that I just allowed myself to fall in love with writing. I mean, I sort of very much didn't have a critical gear in my brain at that mm -hmm. stage. Um, and I, I, yeah, I waitress, but I set, you know, I'd set my alarm for four in the morning to do writing before I went, I'd come home, I'd work until two in the morning writing, you know, I was obsessed with it. Mm. And about six months later, I'd written 40 pages of a play, mm -hmm. which I thought was a full length one. And it was totally and utterly Blackbird inspired because obviously this was the play that was my, uh, more than a reference point, you know, rather than mm. having that experience thinking I could write, I did then didn't go to foils and sit there and read all these different plays. I basically went and bought this one and obsessed over it and kept reading it and rereading it. And so inevitably the piece that I wrote felt, um, you know, very familiar and um, mm. influenced by that Harrower play. But I sent it off to the Royal Court because I had mm. read, I had uh, seen that they'd got the writing thing, of course. And they got back to me, which was astonishing. Mm. I remember it. I remember being um, in a state of disbelief that the first thing that I'd written had opened up a door for me. I really expected to just be working in, just be writing in the dark for the love of it mm. because it, I didn't know anybody. And I just, you just read things about publishing, don't you, where everyone says it's impossible and... It, yeah, it just felt bizarre. So I went to the Royal Court to do, it wasn't actually their um, their sort of young writers group. It was like mm. everybody there had already, well, some people had already had productions on, but it was like a separate group, if you know what I mean. Like, a, uh, I suppose like an advanced group, even though I wasn't mm. advanced and I didn't know the very mm. basics in many ways. Um, and I wrote my first full length play there. Mm -hmm. Which was a, which was also a. It was Dominic Cook um, was the artistic director mm. at the Royal Court at that time, and there was a real um, shift in him saying uh, that new writing would go on the main stage if it mm. if it needed that space that he would back it and it, that's mm. where it would go. And I remember being incredibly excited by that and taking it at its word as well and thinking, mm -hmm. well, yeah, then, I mean, I can write a big play. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was, that was quite influential, I suppose. And did that, did that play go on? No, it didn't. Um, I wrote another one and that went on. That was Ditch. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that went on at high tide and then transferred to the old Vic Tunnels. And, and one of the things I know about you is you, you really work at your plays and, and you really pour yourself into them and, and they are 
they're sort of slow births, aren't they, for, for you? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you take a couple of years of plays, do you think? Or is that, is that Yeah, unfair? definitely. But, oh, God, no, definitely. I mean, I don't even think I could write a bad one in six months. <laughs> but, um, yes, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not a person that has multiple ideas that has I don't ha I actually find it very hard to get people to speak on the page you know mm -hmm, verbal mm -hmm. diarrhea is not is not me um mm -hmm. and um I am very instinctual at the beginning with the piece I start with a blank page I don't structure I don't plot mm -hmm. so it's a process of um Finding really there. finding your way in the dark exactly mm. where you have a torch and you're covering this huge you know expanse where you're just trying to find things um yeah. and that is slower it's yeah. slower but i i always think that what you come across is more surprising because you haven't predetermined what it is going to be that's interesting so so tell us a bit about wonderland and, and like do you feel that was like a, a breakthrough for you in a way? Yes. I mean, I like I say, with the play that good... was on before that ditch, mm -hmm. um, got really bad reviews. I mean, it got a couple of good ones, but I was devastated. Um, mm -hmm. I felt I'd let everyone down. I felt I'd let myself down. And also, I just, which I think is familiar, like I think a lot of people must think this, I didn't think I'd get another go. Mm -hmm. I thought that was mm -hmm. it. You know, here I am, you know, I've got onto the Royal Court really quickly. And then the second thing I wrote went on and it got a transfer. And oh, my God, you know, I've completely mm. screwed it. And that's it. Mm. So I was also, but nonetheless, um, determined to write something big in terms mm. of scope and scale. Mm -hmm. I sort of realized quite early on that... Um, it's a bigger gamble to write that kind of work because there mm. are less places that can do it. Mm. Um, and, and there's an awful lot of considerations about what goes on the main stage just because of how many tickets you have to sell, etc. But at the same time, if you write something big and it's brilliant, it will go on. Whereas, mm. you know, four people talking on a park bench, there are those plays out there and yours can mm. be brilliant, but it might not get through. And so that definitely shaped my, I wasn't discouraged, if you like, from Ditch doing terribly. I still sort of felt that that was the right way to go. You wrote this play, it's obviously about, you know, the mining community. And, and yeah. I guess that's close to where you're from, I believe that's what you're about to say. And, you know, it's a very, um, very male play as well. It went on at Hampstead yes. initially. Like, how did that, how does that feel writing writing away from yourself so much? Because I guess it's close to you in, in terms of its background, maybe, but... Yeah, I mean, point. I love writing men. And mm. I don't find men that far away from me either, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, I'm, which I'm sure you would understand why I say that, Rupert. Um, you know, I mean, what is it? Writing is imagining another way of being yourself, isn't it? It's... Um, and I can be more of one particular aspect of me but I find the masculine male voices, my voice too. Um, I'm interested in male intimacy, um, male love, 
them. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also very interested in working class male voices of how mm. um, you're, you know, you're not going to start sort of, well, yes, exactly. There's not going to be a verbal diarrhea, is it? It's mm. going to be more restricted. And I'm interested yeah. in where those moments that are um, emotional come. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, I didn't, it's not that I wanted to write about the mining community. I was interested in the pit. Mm. I mean, I just thought that um, seeing a play set in a mine would be exciting. That, that is mm. something I would want to see. I would want to see that world on stage. So it was definitely the world that came first with Wonderland rather right. than the community and, set, and definitely not the political context. So obviously, very sadly, we've had to postpone uh, your fantastic play that we're about to do. Um, although I hope you'll have it on very soon, House of Shades. And I guess when this goes out, uh, we'll still not have put it on yet. So we, I don't want to give too much away about what it is about. But um, could you just tell listeners a little bit about where you started with that play and, and what it's what it's what the gesture of it is doing and, and what it's looking at? Yeah, um, so I started the play, it would have been now, three years ago, um, and I'd written two big plays back-to-back -back that were political, that were event-driven, and I wanted to write something that was inside-out rather than outside-in, and I wanted it to have these um, big emotional arcs and that the characters themselves created the change rather than the change creating the character if that makes sense yeah and um, give us a quick a quick sketch of the story or, or the a quick sketch of the story yeah. yeah it's a family drama it spans half a century um each act is a different decade um it's a much as much a play about the dead as it is the living it's a very haunted play um, mm. And it is domestic, but it is um, operatic's not the right word, but um, elemental yeah, and absolutely. myth and and mythic. Yeah, I didn't want you... to do a domestic play that stays domestic. I mean, the storm in the teacup play is stunning. It's stunning, but mm. I've always been drawn to the wildness of the heath. You know, that's the the yeah. thing that gets me excited. And you, I think, did you mention to me that um, the production of Oristaya that we did at the theatre had to sort of galvanise some of your thinking about it at all? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I sat, so I'd never read the Oristaya and I'd never heard of it. I didn't even know what it was. I just, um, I booked it because it had got good reviews. Oh, no, I saw it in a preview. So it didn't even, <laughs> I had reviews then. I saw it again, I saw it twice. Mm. Um, and that was not dissimilar actually to a blackbird moment where i just felt um electrified by what i was seeing and that i was seeing something that i just i just got the taste in my mouth and i thought i want some of that i want to be writing something that feels um that feels as emotional as that, that feels as terrifying as that and that actually the political context is in the back seat and at the forefront is these uh, extraordinary characters doing extraordinary, extraordinary things. 
Um, mm. And it was, I mean, then I did go and read. I literally um, fell in love with Greek tragedy from that, from that play. I went to Greece after I went and booked an apartment for a month and read a Greek tragedy um, every single day. But yeah, I was interested. <laughs> I know I did all 32. Must be fun. <laughs> um, the stakes can never get any higher, can they, yeah. in Greek tragedy? They just can't. And they can never get more emotional either. And I thought, what would it take for me to to be able to write to or to aspire to write to those kind of stakes and to those yeah. kind of emotions. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think you totally deliver it. It's, it's, it's an extraordinary play, but um, you know, taking the ghost elements of it and the um, yeah, like you say, the Greek, the mythic elements of it, it, it is still a play very much set in working class um, North of England kind of uh, family community, and and also at some level is looking at the labour movement and and what that's yeah what that's been for those communities um, over the last 50 years. And so, so I mean, I wanted to ask, do you feel, a, is that just because you're writing from where you're from or do you feel a responsibility to working class voices or, or, or how does how, how did that I don't feel I, I don't feel a responsibility to working class voices, but I'm interested in, um, I'm interested in the lack of them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm interested in, when they are on, they mm. are a studio play, you know, with three people, which can be a very, very powerful experience. I'm not diminishing something by scale or size, but mm. they come in a they come in a way that you expect them to come in, and I'm and I'm interested in why you why you don't see in a contemporary play. Um, you know, why these extraordinary, stately, massive plays can't be with working class voices. And mm -hmm. that I was... So, for example, you know, you sort of see these kind of sexy Simon Stone, Eva Van Ho, Robert Icke, you know, it's a particular aesthetic. They're all different, but, you know, you... Mm. I know when I'm watching which is which and mm. where they blur, but I can't ever imagine any of them having those kind of voices either which doesn't mean mm -hmm. to say that they won't. And I'm, I'm not making a judgment there. I'm just saying it was, I wanted to find a way of where I, the work that I admired, mm. um, that I could make it mine, that I could yeah. make it mine, that it would be different. Do you want to have a political effect on the audience? Do you want to radicalise them or um, transform them politically? Or, or do you not think that's your job? Um, I'm going to be annoying and, and say it's both, isn't it? Because of course, you know, you lock yourself in a room for three years writing <laughs> something that is deeply politically felt. Um, but I don't think that you get to the end of that play and there is only one view. It doesn't come down in one particular angle. So therefore, mm -hmm. how could how could it uh, blanket radicalise people, as it were? But I don't know about that. I'm, I'm never sure how political theatre works, whether mm. it does politicise an audience or not. Hmm. Million-dollar question. Um, well, let me let me ask about something else then, because obviously you're writing more screen now, and you've got um, TV commissions, and 
uh, you've been kind enough to let me to look at it and, and it's the writing is again brilliant how i mean that that's obviously tv is an art form that is you know it's on the telly and it goes out to everybody um mm -hmm. what's what for you is the difference about writing for stage and writing for screen it's a lot easier <laughs> um, I'm not I'm not in the dark universe with a torch let's put it that way oh god there's no comparison I mean it's mm -hmm. just you know I was given a sort of a suggestion of a, a three-month deadline for a first episode and that's the first thing I've ever 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 written I've never written for screen before I haven't even done mm -hmm. a treatment and I did it which astonished me, you know, because for a play, a first draft for me is over a year. Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. working at it five days a week, by the way. And that's working mm -hmm. at it from morning until, you know, seven o'clock. That's not just, you know, pushing out three hours in the morning. So, no, a play is agony um, and television <laughs> screen is not. Um, I love thinking of it visually. Um, mm -hmm. But again, you know, I don't have a television, Rupert um so it's not that i watch that. Yeah. it yeah i don't that's watch amazing. it um it's not that i have and that's not i don't have a big agenda with that it's just i just haven't had one for 17 years wouldn't occur to me to there's so know. much you've missed <laughs> but i like... know but how do you do it all i think i get a lot of inspiration from reading i mean fiction is my big um this is where my brain starts ticking over and percolating. And how do you find the time to watch three hours of television per night as well? I mean, I just don't think I can make it all work. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess there's a pat. I mean, your, your independent spirit, like heading off at 16, um, you know, taking two, three years to write a play. I mean, economically, that's, that's, that's crazy. Um, I, I, you know, well, I know, because I turned down tons of TV work. I know. Yeah. It's crazy, but no you know TV, what? No telly, just reading all the time. No. I mean, I, where, where you did you get But you know what, though, that? Rupert? When I waitressed, I waitressed and I earned what I earned, 10 quid an hour, and mm. I had no possibility of doing anything else. I had no qualifications. I'd got GCSEs, couldn't even, like, use a computer properly. You know, mm. what was I going to do? And I had to do that job, and I had to do it for money. And basically, when I came to writing, here was this thing that I could do and it guess mm. what it's a privilege that I get to sit down every day at my desk and I thought no I'm not this isn't going to be this is not going to become about the money mm -hmm. something I like to ask everybody which is slightly narcissistic in a way but it's not about me it's about the building it's it's what when you're in the Armada as a space either as an audience member and, and I guess hopefully as a, as a creative now working working around the team um what is it that you you like about it what, what is it that's special for you um well two things it's definitely the, the actual theater the stage itself the fact that it is epic and intimate actually the stage isn't that big but it always feels that it reaches it, it feels that it vibrates out that it reaches out um, I always think of those sexy backlit bricks, you know, I don't know. It's just always has felt elemental and like an arena, an arena, mm -hmm. even though actually when you sort of, if you go there in a day, it's not, it's not that experience at all. It's quite small. Um, so the stage excites me. And also I would say that the Almeida's shaped my thinking 
in this last four years and informed oh, wow. the change in me as a writer. And I don't think I would have made the transition had I not have had those experience sat there in that auditorium. I do believe the House of Shades is this moment of bringing together what I could do before, which was the political and the big, but actually having this burning craving to do something poetic and um, emotional and the other side of me that sort of hadn't found its expression and I didn't mm -hmm. know how to fuse the two. And I feel um, that this play is a fusion of those things. And I don't know yeah. if I'd have made the transition without being there. And I wouldn't say that to you if it wasn't true. You know I wouldn't. <laughs> I know you wouldn't. You know I wouldn't. Yeah. But you know, Rupert, I was thinking actually, even this is like a basic thing, but sometimes basic things, it's when you need to hear them. I remember reading something in a paper where you'd said about, you know, well, a, a basic thing about writing is that actually people need to write, you know, gigantic parts for actors. And I thought, hmm, I've never written a gigantic part for an actor. And I know that's quite basic, but, you know, that also shifted my thinking. Um, mm. And The House of Shades has that part. Yes, and I haven't thought really. like that before, but it yeah, has that part. Yeah. Well, listen, we can't wait to, to get it on. It's, it's a thrill talking to you, Beth, and thanks so much for doing this. And um, we will have your play on very soon. Thank you for listening to the Almeida Theatre Podcast. Recently, we've had to take the very difficult decision to temporarily close the Almeida. As you can imagine, this has had a profound financial impact on us as a charity. And right now, every penny counts for us. If you are able to support us during this time, any donation, large or small, will make a huge difference. Take care, and I look forward to seeing you at the Almeida soon. Thank you for listening to the Almeida Theatre Podcast. For more, head to almeida.co.uk forward slash explore.